we have focused our attention upon the church of Jesus Christ. It's a little mini-series we're doing at the end of uh, Matthew, <clears throat> which we finished about three weeks ago, and before the new year when we're going to start January 1 with Genesis 1-3 through 3 and going through the whole Bible. I wanted to address the issue of the church, what the church is, what it's about, what your attitude, what your heart ought to be about the church. I asked you this question two weeks ago. Do you love the church? So Jesus Christ loves the church. If He loves the church, we ought to love the church as well. Last week I asked you the question, do you know the church? And I hope that some of you were blown away by how God sees the church and what He does for the church. The church is God's grace. It's His surprise. It's His wisdom. It's His plan. And if God is so enthused about the church, ought we not to be enthused as well? This week, I want to ask you another question. My question this week is, do you serve the church? Do you serve the church? I want to begin again by, by quoting this book from Joshua Harris. I'm going to quote this every week because I think it's important for you all to read this book. Um, in fact, we have, if you don't have the book, we have a gift here for you. It's a, it's a book and it's a CD. And I want everyone here to read this book. If you say, Steve, but you know, I'm not dating the church. I don't need the, to read the book. I want you to read the book because I want us as a church to be united on what it means to be committed to a local church. And he does a very good job of spelling it out. As I read this book, my heart was, was thrilled and cemented just in things where I need to be reproved and corrected and just say, you know what, I need to love the church. Fall in love with the family of God. I want to read this from page um, 16. He talks about a, a church dater. He says, can you spot what I'm calling a church dater? Here's a quick profile. Do you see one of more of these characteristics in yourself? He says, first, our attitude towards the church tends to be me-centered. We go for what we can get, social interaction, programs or activities. The driving question is, what can the church do for me? A second sign of a church dater is being independent. We go to church because <clears throat> that's what Christians are supposed to do. But we're careful to avoid getting involved too much, especially with people. We don't pay much attention to God's larger purpose for us as a vital part in a specific church family. So we go through the motions without really investing ourselves. Most essentially, a church dater tends to be critical. We're short on allegiance and quick to find fault in our church. We treat church with a consumer mentality, looking for the best product for the price of our Sunday morning. As a result, we're fickle and not invested for the long term. We're like a lover with a wandering eye, always on the hunt for something better. Take my friend Nathan. He attended two churches on Sundays, one because he liked their music and others because he liked the preaching. And his involvement in both went no deeper. At the first church, he'd slip out just before the last song wound down and drive, drive to the other church five minutes away. He even factored in time to stop by McDonald's for an Egg McMuffin. He timed it so they'd be walking into the second church just as the pastor started to preach. I guess you could say that Nathan was two-timing. And if you see yourself in any of these descriptions, I want you to hear from this former church dater, God has something better for you and me than dating the church. 
What practice daters like Nathan don't realize is what they assume is working for their personal gain is actually resulting in a serious loss for themselves and for others. Are you dating the church? I know that many of you aren't dating the church. And for that, I am thrilled. I am rejoicing in that. And this morning is really a way to show that you don't date the church by serving the church. Right? That's my question. Do you serve the church? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. I invite you, if you haven't opened already, to open to Ephesians chapter 4. It's a very familiar passage to many of you. It's a key passage that speaks about the church, what the church is about. I want to start by reading in verse 11. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. And God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, this passage gives an overall view of the way the church ought to function. It speaks about the leaders that God has given to the church, given for the purpose of equipping the people of the church to do the work of service. And it's this work of service, right? Servant. You can see it coming right out of this that I'm going to really focus upon. And it is this work of service that governs this text from verses 12 to 16. Now, before we actually get into this text, I want to tell you an illustration. It's a story told. I doubt it's true, but it points very well. There were men building Sir Christopher Wren's cathedral. And a reporter, a journalist, thought, hey, this might be a, a good opportunity to see what's happening there on this cathedral that's being built. And so he went and asked all three of these workers, particularly three workers, there are many more workers than that, but he asked these three workers, he said, what are you doing? And the first worker replied, he says, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. He went to another worker and said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm working for 10 hours a day on this job to support my family. The third worker said, I'm helping to build Sir Christopher Wren's cathedral. One of London's greatest cathedrals ever built. See, he had a vision of something bigger and grander. So as I talk about serving the church, and my outline is is going to try to push you to something bigger and grander than just what you might think, because it is bigger and grander than you might think. It's a difference that a perspective makes. When you see the, the end product of your labors, your work and your toil and your labor comes easier. I remember a few years ago, in 1999, a man whose name is Elton Brand... Any of you guys know who he is? Some of you athletic fans know. He is a, he's a basketball player, a great basketball player for the University of Duke. 
And uh, he won a national championship and as a junior, I think, declared himself eligible for the draft. And he hired an, a, a personal trainer. said, I want you to train me so I can you know, move up in the position in the draft. And one of the things this trainer kept doing with him is he'd call him number one. Hey, number one, you need to do this. Number one, keep lifting those weights. Number one, keep running hard. Number one, keep at it. And by number one, he was referring to number one in the draft. He kept reinforcing in his mind of what he was going to do, what his goal was to do. And it made his lifting weights and his running and his jumping and his training and his shooting all easier because he had a bigger goal in mind. And indeed, in 1999, the Bulls drafted him as number one. And so also with the church, my outline this morning is in the form of goals that you ought to have to serve the church and I trust will make it easier as you realize the far-reaching implications that service to the church might have. Because service in the church has an end of a, of a God-glorifying purpose in sight. Here's my first point. You should serve the body. You should serve to build the body. You should serve to build the body, verse 12. comes straight from the language there. It says the leaders are to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Acts of service build up the body of Christ. Now, when Paul talks about the body of Christ, he's obviously speaking about the church. Back in chapter 1, he says that in verse 22, about how God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is His body. The church is the body. right? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, it says the same thing. right? That Christ is the head of the church, He Himself being the Savior of the body. The body is the church. There's the connection. And so the purpose of your serving is that you might build up the church. As I'm using the terminology here, verse 12, build up the body. Let me ask you, do you want to see Rock Valley Bible Church grow and prosper? Do you want to see it grow and prosper? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're content with the way things are. Maybe you like these group of people. You, you look around and you say, hey, these are my friends. I like these people. I like the size of the church. It allows things to be real personal. Uh, I, I like our missions emphasis. You know, two prongs, going to Nepal. In the missions of foreign missions, and even now for this season, focusing upon Christ Fellowship Baptist Church in Alabama to helping with Katrina. You like that. You like the trips that we've helped to take down there. And you want to see things continue the way they are. Maybe you're like a, a parent with a child who has a three-year-old son and says, boy, I, my three-year-old is so cute. I don't ever want him to grow up. I mean, he's got an innocence. He can talk. He can walk. He's got a simplistic view of life. Oh, I wish he'd never grow up. Now, Maybe there's some of you like that with the church. Oh, I like the church just how it is. I don't want it to grow and I don't want it to build. Let me tell you though that God wants the church to grow. He wants us to grow as a body. I mean, that's the way He's established a church. He's established a church giving leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. He gives us all to build the church. The specific goal that God has in mind is to building the church. So do you want to see the church built? Do you want to see the church grow? Do you want to see the church prosper? Then serve the church. It's God's purpose. is what God wants for the church. Now, when I speak about the church building and growing, I'm not talking about numerical growth. That probably is what came in your mind, but that's not what I'm talking about because that's not what Paul is talking about. 
Paul is talking about depth of spirituality here. He's talking about depth of love to Christ, which comes in verse 13, which we'll get with our next point. And so the work of service that he's addressing here has to do with service to one another in the church that builds up the church. Not in numbers, though I believe you build a deep ministry, God will build a broad ministry. I believe that with all my heart. I've heard John MacArthur say many times, and I believe it. You focus on the depth of your ministry and you let God focus on the breadth of your ministry. That's my goal, my vision, my passion, my trust, and that's what God has done here. But this service here is speaking particularly about building up the body of Christ in maturity. Now, how do you do this? How do you do works of service to build up the body of Christ? Let me just say this, kind of at the outset, just kind of real general is that works of service has got to be others-centered. That's at the core of this, is to be others-centered. You know, Joshua Harris said that a church dater is me-centered, is independent and critical. That, that's very, like, you know, standoffish, very interested in me and what I can get. Okay? But a, a work of service is very others-centered. Right? Focuses upon the needs of others. The one who dates the church is in it for himself, involved in the church only to the extent that it will help himself. The day the church fails to meet his need, he gives up on the church and looks for another one. But service is really focused upon the needs of others. So you will build the body of Christ when you get your eyes off of yourself and upon others. I mean, after all, this is how the church was started, right? Jesus started the church by giving himself up for the church. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. When Jesus came into this world, He didn't just focus upon Himself and upon His own needs. Rather, He focused His attention upon the needs of others and gave Himself for them. And that is what service in the body of Christ looks like. So He's our model. He gave Himself for us. We ought to give ourselves for others. That's what service in the church is all about. That's what I'm talking about. And there are various different ways to do this. You can do physical acts of service by doing something for somebody else. You can do this through words of encouragement. And by the way, we'll see that that actually plays a large role, I believe, in building up the body of Christ. Words of encouragement. This can be through an official capacity in the church, like arranging chairs on Sunday morning. That's serving the church. Being in charge of the nursery or bringing refreshments or playing music. I mean, all those official capacities, that's serving the church. You can serve the church in an unofficial capacity. Like helping someone in the church some sort of home repair that they know nothing about that you know about. Or by praying for a family in need. Just merely praying is an act of serving the church. It's very informal, very unofficial, but that does so. Encouraging a downcast soul. Teaching the Bible to your children, having family worship at home is serving the church. As you build deep into the lives of your family, you build the church deep. And that's what building the church is about. Doing acts of service, work of service. Well, you serve to build the body. Second, you serve to mature the body. You should serve to mature the body. Right? This is verse 13, which says, Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This verse describes the goal of the church. Businesses aim for profits. Right? Not a profit. Foretell. They aim for financial profit. Football teams aim for the bowl game. 
Movies aim for the Oscars. Students aim for grades. Doctors aim for health. And churches aim for maturity. That's the goal. I mean, each of, that's what each of these phrases in verse 13 represent. They, they, they point to maturity. Look at the first one. The unity of the faith. It comes about when the entire body is unified in the same faith in Christ. As a result, the members of the body functioning together properly. No complaint, no grumbling, no murmuring among the members. All are unified in their faith and love towards Christ. The knowledge of the Son of God. If you have a New American Standard, you see there the footnote there speaks about a true knowledge of the Son of God. <clears throat> which describes a, a perfect, full, complete knowledge of Christ. It, it describes a time when the whole body of Christ comes to know Christ fully and completely. It describes a mature faith and trust in Christ. A mature man. It's the next phrase. The picture here is a full-grown man as opposed to a boy. There's no more growing to do. Right? The full-grown man has reached his stature. Right? This is the goal of the church is to be a man. This is what the church maybe is and we want the church to grow in to be a man. That's the imagery. A mature man who's steady, stable, secure. It's what we ought to strive for as a church. It's what every boy ought to strive for. To be like a man. The fourth phrase here, right? The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Again, he's using this, this age metaphor, right? Coming to stature. It might just be in age. It might be in, in stature and height and size. We don't know what it means, but it means the finished, final product. The fullness of Christ. Rejoicing in that. Verse 13 is all about unity. It's all about maturity. It's all about completeness. It's all about manhood. It's all about the final work. And that's what we need to reach for and attain to. If you look at the beginning of that phrase, it says, until we attain to the unity or, or until we come to. Or, it's something we ought to reach for. It ought to be something we ought to go for. It's as if the church is traveling to reach a certain destination. And that destination is a mature, complete body where there's no division, where everyone fully knows Christ, where mature and fully grown. These are the things that describe the perfect church. You know, we need to aim for these things, but never fully will we ever attain to this. We live in a sinful world, and in case you haven't noticed, there are sinful people in the church. I'm among them. The chief, as Paul said. And whenever you place sinful people together in a group, it's going to simply stir up more sin. But it's when we see Him, we'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is. And until that day... The church of Jesus Christ will be, fully, will be immature and not fully what it ought to be, but it describes where we are going. We are heading towards maturity. You know, last week in my message, I made a comment that, that generated a great deal of discussion with other people. I said that the aim of our services, the aim of my preaching was to the mature. Okay? And I, and I fear by some of the comments that some of it might be misunderstood a little bit that that I implied that we're only going to do things that only appeal to mature people. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that. Okay, if you remember, even after my, my statement, I spoke about how even in the midst, we're, I'm preaching to six-year-olds and four-year-olds and two-year-olds. The goal is to bring them up, to bring them to maturity. And I believe that as you address things to mature people, the immature people will come along. Now, I do know of a man who sought to plant a church by preaching very heady, academic, Hebrew and Greek-oriented sermons. He just went through the Bible and went Hebrew, Greek word, and told you everything that it is. And you know what? 
the, the people that visited, very few stayed because most of them are like, what's that got to do with life? What's, what's that mean? And so it doesn't mean that we're only addressing the mature. We're trying to bring everybody along unto that point of maturity. But I spoke about how those who are mature are the ones that we need around. Why? Because it's those who are mature who've got their eyes off of themselves and onto others, have captured this other-centeredness and thus build the body of Christ. Because we reach maturity through service. That's connecting verse 12 and verse 13, right? It's the, the work of service which builds up the body of Christ until we attain to this. How's the church being built? It's being built in unity. How's it being built in unity? By works of service. Maturity comes through the process of people in the church serving one another. I hope, I hope you're seeing maybe a bigger picture of what service in the church is about. It's about reaching and attaining to everything that God wants the church to be. It's done through service. Let's look at my third point. Serve to build the body. Serve to mature the body. Here it is. Serve to stabilize the body. Verse 14. As a result, this is the end product, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. In verse 14, we're brought to the sea. Paul pictures this boat floating on top of the water in the midst of a raging storm. The, the waves are high and the swells are big and they push the boat up and down and from side to side being pushed around. And a big wave comes over the boat and it comes down and another big wave comes and it comes down and there's a swell and then a huge, gigantic wave comes and this boat's just being tossed here and there and here and there. When Paul says and applies this analogy, he's not talking about waves in the sea. He's talking about the wind of doctrine that sweeps over the church and causes churches to up and down and back and forth. He's, he's not talking about waves of water. He's talking about the, the men who come in trying to trick and deceive the church to pull the church this way, to pull the church this way, to pull the church this way. He says we ought not to be like that. In fact, even Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy about those who are going to come into the church to teach strange doctrines. They're going to come and focus their attention upon myths and endless genealogies and fruitless discussions. They desperately want to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand what they're saying. They hold to a form of godliness although they have denied its power and they enter into households and captivate weak women. They'll be deceiving and they will be being deceived. Now when that happens, false teachers come into a, a weak, immature church the church just kind of, whoa, there, there we go. You sway from one way to the other. But a mature church won't be like that. A mature church will stand firm to every wind of doctrine. It's interesting here. You need to link verse 13 and 14 again, right? There's a contrast. In 13, he's talking about a man. In verse 14, he's talking about a child. In verse 13, he's describing the, the mature who's characterized by a steadiness and a stability and a security. In verse 14, we see the, the wavering uncertainty, insecurity of a child. And, and Paul writes, the mature church won't be the church that's open and susceptible to these waves. It'll be like that, you know, whatever, that, that the lighthouse that's secured by the, the side of the cliff that though the waves come, that lighthouse is standing secure. It's the immature child is like the boat ready and tossed here and there. But here's the million dollar question, okay? What is it that keeps the church stabilized when the winds of doctrine come? 
Let me give you a few hints. It's not great preaching that stabilizes a church when the winds and waves of doctrine come. It's not great Bible knowledge. It's not great doctrinal statements. It's not great theology. It is the work of service that people perform in the church. And this was a surprise to me in the text this week. I, I, I didn't think about this. I didn't realize. I've been in Ephesians 4 many, many times. And I never saw this. In my mind, I always thought, doctrinal error, you combat that through right teaching. And though that certainly needs to be done, and we need to stand on firm doctrine, it's not the solution that Paul gives in this passage. It's the work of service which builds the church and stabilizes the church. It's the work of service that matures the body and ultimately protects it from the various doctrines that find its way in the church. And that's my point. Serve so as to stabilize the body. You say, okay, well, how does that work? Where's the connect between acts of service and a, a doctrinally stable church? And here's, here's where I think the connect comes. It goes something like this. A church is functioning properly. The saints are faithfully serving one another and there's no need for anyone to come into their church and say, hey, you really need this or you really need that or, or this is what you really need or you need this program or you need this 40 days of study or you need this music or you need this method. Churches which are groundless will be like off on their newest methods and newest methodologies and we're going like this. But the mature church kind of says, why would we need that? Why would we need that? We have the Gospel right here. We have the Word of God taught faithfully and, and modeled appropriately. And we've seen the effect of what, what the Gospel does in our lives. We've seen the effect of, of the truth of Scripture transforming our minds to live appropriately. And we have a church that's functioning together. Why do we need your program? Why do we need this new thing that's just hitting the church? I, mean, I look at what your doctrine produces... I don't see harmony and affection and goodwill towards one another like our message does. Thank you very much. You can go on your merry way. I think that's how it works. So when the church functions properly, people don't see a need to catch this wind of doctrine coming out there. So you want to protect Rock Valley Bible Church from doctrinal error? Serve the church. Serve the church. We serve to build the body, serve to mature the body, serve to stabilize the body. Fourthly, serve to grow the body. Serve to grow the body. This comes in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Now, literally, this phrase here is truthing in love. Truthing in love. We're to grow up in aspects of Him. Right? The idea is that, that our lives mix and mingle with one another in the context of truth and, <clears throat> and love. Now, every translation that I looked at translated this correctly, speaking the truth in love, because the truth is primarily a content thing, it's an oral thing, and so that's, that's come across here. I think that's correct and appropriate. So that's why we see this speaking the truth in love. You know, there are love people and there are truth people, but the Bible calls us to be both. Love people and truth people. You know, perhaps you've thought about this phrase about uh, speaking the truth in love. When it speaks about this, it's not necessarily even talking about in the, in the motive in which you speak to people, speak in love motive. 
What it means by this is if you speak to people truth, and sometimes we speak the truth, it's pretty hard to say. It's pretty hard to catch. What you need to do at that moment is make sure that you flower that person with love and affection and compassion and kindness. Speak the truth in an environment and a sphere of love to one another. And I just say this, that your words can go a long way to building the church. In fact, I think that most of us, when we initially think of the work of service as things that we do, we don't think about it as things that we say. However, the Bible places strong emphasis upon how the things that we say can either build up or destroy. It's the power of the tongue. With it we can build, with it we can destroy. Look over at chapter, 20, chapter 4, verse 29. Paul writes, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. In this verse we're told of the words that are not in any way to proceed from our mouths. And we're also told the sorts of words that are to proceed from the mouth, from our mouths. Unwholesome words shouldn't proceed from your mouth. In fact, look, it says, let no unwholesome word, right? None. And a wholesome word shouldn't come out of your mouth. But only, right? These are the only kind of words that should proceed from your mouth. They are edifying words. Unwholesome words are words which tear down and destroy. The, the Greek word here translated unwholesome gives a picture of a rotten, decaying fruit. These are unwholesome words. They're not as bad as I was hoping to be. Sometimes they've been all black in our homes before, um, preparing them for banana bread or something like that. But that is an unwholesome word that ought not to proceed from our mouth. This is the edifying word. This is the edifying word that I look at these bananas and I say, by golly, by golly, these, these are edifying. Well, I, can, <laughs> I can take this banana, I can eat it, and I can be built up by it. The perfect sweetness as opposed to the rotten word. And it says the perfect sweetness word, right? The... The edifying word, the word that's good for edification, is what ought to proceed from your mouth. It's very interesting here, this word. It's good for edification. That's the same word used in verse 12, speaking about building the body of Christ. It's what building is. It means building. It means growing. What's one way to grow the body? By speaking forth growing words, edifying words. You know, and this really was another surprise to me in my study this week is that you all can and do build the church with your mouth. How easy is that? I mean, last time I checked, we're all capable of of talking. Some of you are more capable than others of you. But we all can talk. And we're not talking here about long hours of heavy labor to build the church. We're not talking here about massive hours of time commitment. We're talk, not talking here about long meetings where you just sit and learn. We are talking about interaction. We are talking about you speaking with others. We are talking about talking. 
But here's the thing. In your talking, as you talk with people, your talk can either build the church like this. Mm, mm. It's a preview. There'll be a couple bananas over there in the potluck, I'm sure. You can build the church or you can destroy the church. I have these bananas here. You can destroy it and have it just awful. Like this one, even it's gooey here. Look, it's really soft and bendy. It's nasty. You, your words can do one or the other. And so I ask you, when you talk, are your words building words? Or are your words destroying words? <clears throat> when you talk with others in the church, are your words chosen specifically to build them up? I mean, look even what verse 29 says. You should speak a word of advocation according to the need of the moment, right? Discerning the need, understanding the need, looking at the person and saying, what is it that that person needs right now for an edifying word from my mouth? That it may give grace. Think about this. When often we think about the grace of God, we think that God is the one who gives grace. And indeed He is. But we often think about grace only in terms of our salvation, right? We were dead in our sins and yet by the grace of God He made us alive. But the Bible tells us right here that, that through our words we can give grace to others. Do you want to give grace? Do you want to give grace? I want to give grace. I want to be a dispenser of grace. I need to speak edifying, encouraging words to you all. And you need to speak edifying, encouraging words to one another. C.J. Mahaney has helped me this regard in recent days. He says that edifying words are not polite words. They're not socially acceptable words. They're not words of flattery or compliment, which are often only man-centered and man-exalting. He says this, that edifying words are words that reveal the character and the promises and the activity of God in the life of an individual. Edifying words are rooted in and derived from Scripture that identify the active presence of God working in another person. You want to edify somebody? You say, you know, I see God at work in you. And here's how. I see the joy of the Lord in you. I see your patience. Wow, God has really transformed you in this area. He is really... Speak about how God has worked in people's life. C.J. Mahaney, let me read a, a longer quote. He said, Let us pray. Lord, help me discern what kind of grace this person needs. For those who are legalistic or feel condemned, we want to bring justifying grace into their souls. To those struggling with besetting sin, we want to bring sanctifying grace. To those experiencing suffering, we want to bring comforting grace. To those who are just weary, we want to refresh their souls with sustaining grace. And the list goes on and on. And through each and every action, however casual, however brief, I want to impart grace through my words, for that's God's purpose in granting the gift of speech. And in effect, we have God's promise in this passage, Ephesians 4.29, that when our words are edifying and appropriate, they do give grace. So we have to ask ourselves, is this effect of my speech? Is this the effect of my speech upon others? Is this their common experience in our conversations? Do they experience grace in and through my words? God has so composed the church that when we're together in a large corporate gathering, 
or in a small group or even in casual conversation, we can both receive grace and communicate grace through the exchange of edifying and appropriate words. And so I say, church family, never, ever, 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 ever despise the time when the people of the church come together. Never despise that time. Whether it's in the fellowship after church, whether it's in a flock Bible studies, whether it's members of the church with other members at home, whether it's on the phone, whether it's through email, whether it's writing a note, every single one of these opportunities are opportunities for you to serve the church by giving edifying words to build the church. That's what speaking in love is. That's how to build the church. It's how to grow the church. Fifthly and lastly, <clears throat> serve to build the body, serve to mature the body, serve to stabilize the body, serve to grow the body. And here it is again, serve to build the body. Some of my points are, are very close, but I'm just pulling from the text what it says here in verse 16. Look at Ephesians 4. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And again, we find Paul here talking about the church as a body. Again, we find here Paul talking about building the body or growing the body. And he says that your labor and ministry in serving one another isn't simply random acts of kindness with no purpose at all. You're not just doing a random act of kindness. No, rather every member of the body is performing a, a certain function within the body. When all works together, it achieves the final goal, as he says, of building up of itself in love. All right, let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to understand the illustration here a little bit. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. <clears throat> all right, when you think about how the body of Christ functions, you ought to think about the way your own body functions. That's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The church is like a body. It's made up of members, each of which are different from one another and each of which has a different function, yet each of which are part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and also the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. You think about your bodies, you think about Christ and His body. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink from one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as He desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. We'll just stop there. We could continue on. But do you catch what Paul's talking about? He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ is analogous to a human body. In fact, the descriptions he used here is almost humorous, right? You can see the members of the body arguing with one another. Here's this foot over here. and he says, hey, you hand! And the hand's up here and saying, hey, what? What are you talking about? I'm talking to you. Why are you talking to me? He said, yeah, I've been thinking down here. Well, what have you been thinking about? He said, I'm not part of the body. You're what? 
I'm not part of the body. What are you talking about? See, I'm not a hand, therefore I'm not part of the body. Huh? What do you mean? I'm leaving. Boom. And imagine me without a foot now, okay? How would I walk? I'd be a peg leg, right? I'd limp. Right? If I had no, no foot. That's exactly what happens in the body of Christ when a member has got his function role in the church, gets up and leaves. It's exactly what happens. Verse 16. Same thing again. The eye and the ear. Talking about with each other. Well, I'm not an eye. I'm not part of the body. Without our ears, we're deaf. Without our eyes, we're blind. They're both part of the body. In verse 17, Paul describes the catastrophe to take place if everybody were the same. If we were a giant eye, you know, this big eyeball, we could see, but we couldn't hear very well. And we're this giant ear. We could hear, but we couldn't smell very well. If we were a giant nose, we, we could smell, but we couldn't go anyplace. And if we were a giant foot, you know, we could walk about like a monopod, but we wouldn't know where we're going. We're going to smash into things. But verse 18 says this, is that God has perfectly joined the body together so the body would work together. It properly functions as each part does its task. But if a member fails, who suffers? The whole body suffers. So also the body of Christ. Each member of the church needs to perform his or her function in the church for it to proper properly work together. Nobody in the body of Christ can say, I'm not out of the party body. I'm not a part of the body. You can't say that. You are a part of the body. If you believe and trust in Christ, God has made you part of the body. And in fact, God has predestined you for works to do part of the body. Right? That's what Ephesians. Let's turn back to Ephesians chapter four. But let's look at Ephesians chapter two. <coughs> It says in verse 10, In Christ, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When God saves us, He saves us for works. And particularly, I think you tie this to chapter 4, verse 12, He saves us for the work of service so as to build the body of Christ. So if you fail to perform that service, you're working contrary to your nature. You're hindering the work of the building of Christ. Plain and simple. I mean, that's the heart of my message this morning. Do you serve the church? Is your life a model of functioning in the church? It's the same thing that comes up here in verse 16. This 1 Corinthians 12 language comes right here. He's talking about the whole body being fitted and held together, which every joint supplies. In this verse, he's talking about not eyes and ears and hands and feet. He's talking about joints and ligaments. The analogy is exactly the same. If the anterior cruciate ligament says to the knee joint, I have no need of you, I'm gone. You ever seen an athlete with his ACL torn? How well does he walk? Walks with crutches, right? Or if the flexor tendon says to the finger, Hey, I got no need of you. You ever seen just a flexor tendon just hanging around? I bet you have. <laughs> There's no substance to it. Just kind of dangling there. That's what it is. The body needs to function together. Every member doing its part or else the whole, or else the whole body fail to function together. So how do each of us in the church function? We function through the work of service. They're serving the body. And if you're not serving in the church in some capacity, listen, you need to know that you are hindering the growth of the body 
and you are hindering the building of the church. And God has so orchestrated the church right? through the works of service that that's how the body builds. And if you don't serve the church, you don't build the body. God wants the body to be built. Do you serve the church? Do you serve Rock Valley Bible Church? You know, there are many things that take place at Rock Valley Bible Church. Every Saturday night, this building is prepared for our services. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work for the body. Every Sunday morning, this room, after a service, is broken down, packed away in the trailer, and driven off till next week. Every Sunday, the sign on Bell School Road is taken up, put up, taken down. Every Sunday morning, we have refreshments that are brought and prepared. Once a month, we bring a smorgasbord of food. Everybody brings a lot of things for that. The potluck is administrated. It is given vision. Some people work a lot behind the scenes for that. Every Sunday morning, we staff a nursery. Every week, then, we clean the toys from that nursery. Every Sunday morning, with the exception of the last Sunday of the month, we staff children's church. Even right now, people are serving the body by teaching children. Right now, every Sunday, we have bulletins prepared and copied. Every week, there's music that's planned and copied and practiced, rehearsed. Every week, people in this church give to this church by serving the church in that way. And every week, the financial matters are administrated. The money is accounted for every week. Every week, our sermons are posted to the website. Each week, we have treasures for children. And during the week, there's lots that goes on. Many people serve in Awana at Elam Baptist Church. Several families host a flock in their home twice a month, opening up their flock, opening their home and say, why don't you come and so we can build the church. I mean, you think about this, I'm talking about building the church while you're talking. How much are you guys talking this morning? Not a lot. You'll talk more at the fellowship time. At our flocks, they're interactive Bible studies. We're talking about the Bible. We're, we're interacting. We're asking questions, right? Before and after. We're talking. We're figuring out the needs of people. Lots of service happens there at the flocks twice a month. Various opportunities. People organize various events. Meals for the sick. Reach, you got a few meals? Too many is what I've heard. No, not too many. <laughs> Keep going. Meals for the sick or... Sometimes we have an oratorio for the children. Work days for the men. Work days for the women. These things just happen periodically. People see a need and say, hey, there's a need. Let's arrange the church so as we can do this. Sometimes even it's without me knowing, which is wonderful. I was talking to Nancy this week and found out that a group of ladies went over and cleaned their house before they got home from the hospital. I didn't know anything about that. I said, oh, that's great. That's the way it should work. Your left hand not knowing what your right hand is doing is just serving. I had no idea these poinsettias were going to come up today. They look wonderful. Whoever did that, thank you very much. It just appears because see, someone had an eye to say, you know what, that would look really nice in our church. They have these poinsettias. That's great. That's how the church works. It serves and functions. You know, periodically, items are copied. We have welcome packets that just get copied. We have sermon CDs that just get copied. We have directories, administrative things, things on the back table that just get copied. Every week, we pray together as a week. That as a church. I mean, never underestimate the power of prayer to build a church. 
Never underestimate that. And we build the church and we pray together. The church is built when people are in their homes praying. We know nothing about that happens all the time. You want to labor for the church? You can labor one hour every day by praying an hour. Laboring to build the church. I mean, these are obvious things that take place at Rock Valley Bible Church and I know that I'm neglecting many things. There are many things that take place that I'm neglecting. What more is there to be done? Well, there's plenty. Anything that I mentioned, there are opportunities there to help. I think particularly, I just want to raise some needs to you. Children's ministry, children's church. We're a little down on teachers for children's church. And, um, you know, I'm not sure why that is, but some of the... Some of the women who we're teaching aren't, aren't teaching anymore. Just, just we, need, we need more. If we have more people involved in that, particularly maybe you mothers without children, you might even think about saying, you know, maybe I can do that and serve the mothers with children. Because oftentimes the mothers with children, and we have a lot of them, okay, mothers with children seek to help in the nursery and maybe put some time to children's church and they're overwhelmed at home anyway. Maybe there's an opportunity for some of you to say, you know what, maybe we can really... Help with that. God puts it on your heart. Come talk to me. Come talk to Chris Plowman. That would be a help. Nursery. Boy, always need nursery helpers. You know what I mean? Sitting out one service every, whatever, two months, what it is now, or something like that. You know? Nursery. A couple can help with that. Several couples in the church help with that. Just mom and dad. Boom. Do that. And me, particularly those of you without kids could really do that. You're not burdened. The, the children. Oftentimes it falls on the responsibility of those parents with children. You can do that kind of thing. So, set up. Always help needed. Maybe you want to say, you know what? I can't commit every week like Doug Sosnowski does, but you know, maybe I can commit once a month, right? First Sunday a month, I'm going to just be there and help him just to ease the burden, just to make that Sunday a blessing. So it's not so hard. Then also cross-train. So when Doug is gone, that could be a helper. Keepers at home. I know there's been a, a lack of women to teach some skills there. Maybe you want to say, well, I want to serve the church in that area. Well, talk to, talk to Mike Larson about that. Just, you know, to, to help that. There's a need for children. You can step in there. Contenders for the faith. I'm meeting together soon with some guys. We're thinking about starting that. Guys, we're going to have to have you step up. Contenders of the faith to see that happen if it does. Music. We need music help. I love the fact, thank you, Colox, for being able to play the music. Where last night was wonderful. Didn't have, didn't have to think about the music process at all on Sunday. Just kind of, it's going to happen. You, that was a big blessing to me, so thank you for that. If, if you're spiritually qualified, if you're musically gifted, boy, we need help in the music area. You know, other ministries that are, that are future ministries, the things we can do. I mean, we're thinking about, we've talked about a library before, my wife and I have. Or maybe, you know, CDs and books. You know, maybe even a bookstore. You just come and bring a series of books oftentimes. Someone wants to administrate that and say, that would really help. Get it? That is power. It gets in the minds of people. People are reading good books. You know, another need. I think about editing my sermons for the Internet. You know, Dan Scott helps me every other week. But I need someone else maybe to come along and help in the off weeks. Maybe you want to do that. Just type some things and help me out with that. Dream of other ways to serve the body. Maybe see a need that's not being met. I want to just empower you. As a pastor, I've often said this, that I want to just... I want to fan the flame to, to stir your interest, right? To, to keep going, to prosper you, to help the church grow and prosper. But here's what you've got to do. You've got to say, say you know what? I've got an attitude of service. What, what is there that needs to be done? What can I do? And you just go doing it. Now, those, all those things even I mentioned are just physical things. But you know what I think is the bigger thing to build the body of Christ? They're people things. 
Like in a scale, I'm not sure you can scale them. I, I'd, put, I'd put physical things here. I'd put like people things here because I know that people things, speaking to them, talking to them, builds the church. And so when people, new people come into the church, boy, welcome them. Be talking to them. Make them feel welcomed. Have people in your home. Have people in your home. That is a way for you to one-on-one with people, get to know them, get to build them up by your words as you talk about how God is working in their lives, how you can edify and help them, and how you can find out other ways perhaps that you can serve them. Oftentimes things come up. Two people together, oh, I didn't know that. You know, you just start talking with one another about, you say, oh, how about this? You know, I remember this week even I was talking with somebody had no idea that this was a need and spoke with them and said, oh, I, well, how about this? Would this help? And the uh, person said, yeah, that would help. <laughs> so we as a family rallied around to do some things just to help that family. In a situation just came about through my conversation that I wouldn't have known about unless I had talked to them. So have families in your home. Right? Come to flocks. That's where service happens in the church. The flocks. I mean, that's where you kind of sit around and you get to know people. You get to know needs and you can figure out how you can go and help those people. It's like having people for dinner bigger. Like about five, not too big. And that's the purpose. Not too big like this. You can't reach everybody today. But a flock, you can reach everybody and your giftedness and your skills will give you opportunities. That is a, a people opportunities. Now, how about this? Men, you want a people opportunity to serve the church? Conduct family worship in your home. Just take the Bible and say, guys, I've been encouraged recently. I heard of a family that hadn't been doing this before. They said, okay, guys, we are going to, this day forward, we're going to read through the Bible together. Just start opening up the Bible. Just start reading through it. And it's a family and has helped immensely in that family. And to help the family, mature the children, mature the wife, mature the whole family, you will build the church. And that takes like 15 minutes a day, like Five minutes a day, no travel, no difficulty. Just take your Bible and read it. Make a huge impact on your family and make a huge impact in building the church. That's a people opportunity. Men, serve your wives. Sacrifice for your wives. Die to yourself and serve your wife. How's that for service? Right in the home. And Ephesians 5. 25 speaks about that, right? Christ loved the church, gave Himself up for the church. Husbands, likewise do that. Because I know when the homes are strong, when the men are serving their wives like that, you know what's going to happen? When a man sacrifices his all for his wife, for his woman, I was going to say, you know what happens? She will love him and cherish him diligently. And it will work. And you'll live together in harmony and you'll be a stronger family and you'll be a more mature family to be able to influence a less mature family to continue to grow the church like verse 14 says about being a mature man. How about this? Just speak encouraging words to each other. That's a people service opportunity. And, and you can't minimize that of how good that is for serving the church. So do you serve the church? It's a lofty goal. It is the body of Christ and it is what God wants to do. God wants to build the church. He wants to mature the church. He wants to stabilize the church, grow the church and build the church. How? By us doing our part to serve within the body of Christ. 
Many of you do. I say, sell still more. Those of you who aren't or see a lack, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you, well, get on it and do the work that God has prepared for you to do. That the church should be built. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about the church of Jesus Christ, it is glorious in Your sight. You love it far more than we love it. You have sacrificed far more for it than we have. You have served it far more than we have. And so, God, I pray that You would show us a bit about how You have sacrificed for it. And You would show us a bit about how it is that we need to sacrifice for it and serve the church. God, for these grand visions of seeing Your church grow and prosper, I think even as we thought about in prayer meeting this morning about all the work of the church of Jesus Christ going around the world, it thrilled my soul to think about the message of the Gospel of Christ impacting people. And God, how I long for this church to do that, to see the Gospel of Christ. Repentance and forgiveness, complete forgiveness, no condemnation in Christ. See that make an effect here upon this church. That it might make an effect with more and more people here in our town. Lord, for the glorifying ultimately of Your Son, as we bow one day willingly to Him who is seated upon the throne and give glory and honor and praise to the Lamb who was slain, God, I pray You teach us the bigger purpose of service. Stir in our hearts. Cause us to be great servants of the church that we might, even that, that final day, hear from the words of Christ, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we've been faithful servants of Your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.